Welcome to Missions Corner. Our goal at Missions Corner is to bring you stories straight from the mission fields, both locally and from around the world, in hopes of inspiring you to get out and go live the abundant life that Jesus has called you to. Still as true today as when Jesus first said it, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Today we join Jason Pranzo and Tim Knudsen for a special Dakota Hope Radio episode of Missions Corner. This is part one of a three-part conversation with Mike Spencer, founder of Project Life Voice. The mission of Project Life Voice is to train and inspire people to speak boldly and redemptively against the evils of abortion and to point those who have had abortions to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Today, Michael discussed ways to defend the pro-life position as well as dispel some of the false propaganda the pro-choice movement uses. Let's listen in. Uh, I'm Jason Pranzo, and I'm here with Tim Knudsen, Director of Development at Dakota Hope Clinic. And I'm also here with Mike Spencer, speaker and founder of Project Life Voice. Uh, Mike is, was a pastor for 23 years before God called him to be a pro-life advocate, speaker, and an educator. Uh, he's been speaking for the last 10 years and is considered one of the best in the business. And we're privileged to sit down and have a conversation with him today. And Dakota Hope Clinic has partnered with Mike and Project Life Voice. And he's here in Minot presenting the Life Defenders Workshop, which is an apologetics workshop that teaches to defend the pro-life position when it comes to abortion, as well as moral relativism, uh, euthanasia, and assisted suicide. And so, Tim and Mike, welcome. Thank welcome. you. Thanks great for having us. Yeah, great to be with you. All right. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about Project Life Voice. Yeah. Well, Project Life Voice is a gospel-driven human rights organization that equips and inspires pro-life ambassadors to speak intelligently and to act sacrificially on behalf of the unborn, our most uh, vulnerable, our most oppressed uh, neighbors. Wow. So that's what okay. we do. And we do this in churches. We do it uh, with a lot of pregnancy centers like the Dakota Hope Clinic, uh, a lot of Right to Life affiliates, um, a lot of schools, either Catholic or Protestant high schools. So we really, wherever somebody invites us, we go. <laughs> So, so tell me, how did you come to found this? Yeah, well, um, I had um, the privilege of working on the staff, uh, on the teaching staff of Life Training Institute uh, for eight years. Uh, the last couple of years, uh, well, I should say two years ago, I stepped aside um, to start this. Pastoral background has really sort of defaulted me, if you will, into a lot of pastoral circles, luncheons, and churches and things like that. Yeah. So I wanted to... Um, focus a little more narrowly on reaching that audience. And so that, uh, I've been a pastor for 23 years. I'm not actively pastoring now, but that has been a burden of mine is to see the church um, really awaken to the plight of the unborn and to their young mothers who are feeling cornered by life circumstances. Easy to see just in our country, the the silence of the church and what's been Mm, happening. It almost seems like stalling in the pro-life movement versus, you know, whereas the pro-choice movement has really surged ahead in the last 20 years. If not more, yeah. Well, I think that I think that's true. The the um, church has been certainly reticent for a long, long time. Um, I am encouraged though, because I've seen even in the last couple of years, and now particularly with the Dobbs versus Jackson uh, Supreme Court, you know, the opinion leak. Yeah. Um, I think more and more churches are waking up. So I think there is reason for hope, but it is still discouraging when you consider that the overwhelming majority of churches um, in the United States are very give, are giving very little time um, to the plight of the unborn. Yes, that call to arms yeah. where men need to be men. We need to stand right. up. Um, so just in, in, in our conversations, uh, you had once considered yourself pro-choice mm-hmm. and then had become pro-life. Right. Can you tell us the story behind yeah. that? Yeah, sure. So I, 
uh, I sort of defaulted uh, in, in my high school years and particularly into my very early adult uh, years to a kind of a classic pro-choice position. Now, I knew abortion was wrong. I knew it was mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. But I think I was like a lot of Americans where I saw it as a necessary evil. And uh, I wasn't real animated about it. In fact, when I look back, I'm 59 now. When I look back to being 19, 20 years old, I don't remember ever debating the issue with anybody. I mean, people yeah. weren't talking about it then quite to the extent that they are today. So I don't remember ever debating anybody about the issue. But I clearly thought that abortion was a necessary evil. But what happened was I came to faith in Christ. And yeah. that was in September of 1983. And that changed every, everything for me. And so about eight or nine months after coming to faith in Christ, I had, by the way, I, I had come to faith in Christ in September, uh, on, on Saturday night, September 10th of 1983, the very next morning I was in church for the first time. And the church that I started attending about eight or nine months later, this would have been just into 1984, I saw the film The Silent Scream. They showed it that night at church. So I walked in on a Wednesday night, completely unaware of what you know, was planned for the evening. And I walked out an hour and a half or so later forever changed because I saw, some of your listeners will perhaps know that film, but that film was kind of the groundbreaking film in 1984. It was put out by Bernard Nathanson, uh, who was a former abortionist. And I saw for the first time with my own eyes what abortion did to little girls and boys, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I really left that night forever changed. Little did I know that I would go on to pastor churches and that this would be a growing burden in my life and that one day I would be doing this full time. But that's that was my kind of my story in a nutshell. Okay, that's horrific. I remember I actually grew up going to Catholic school, 12 years of Catholic uh-huh. school. And, and one of the things they did, they showed us that our freshman year. Mm. So I've seen that film and it's horrific. It's very powerful, yeah. It, it is, and it, it, it pierces the heart of... Yeah. If you have the chance, listeners, if you have the chance to watch it, well, you know, nothing, it. nothing has the ability. Well, I shouldn't say nothing. A few things have the ability to awaken moral intuitions in us, like an image, and we recognize the need to see vile, graphic things, things yeah. that we don't like to see, but we recognize the need. For instance, photos of Jewish bodies stacked on carts in, you know, Dachau, or uh, you know, people jumping eighty floors to their death from the twin towers to escape the flames. You know, yeah. back on on nine eleven, we don't like to see these these images. They're not pleasant, but we we recognize the importance of seeing those. But yeah, when it comes to abortion, it's very different. People have sort of the attitude that nobody should ever see what abortion does. That apparently there's no appropriate time or place to ever see it. Um, but, you know, we've got our marching orders. Ephesians 5.11 is very clear. Paul writes to the church and he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And if the legalized killing of unborn children is not a fruitless deed of darkness, I don't know what is. Amen to that. Just to circle back to what we mm-hmm. talked about earlier with uh, many of the churches not really saying anything, yeah. right? And then there's no appropriate time to show abortion. Right. Why? Yeah. Well, um, and Tim might want to add to this too, but you know, there's, I think there are three primary reasons. These are certainly not the only reasons, but I think the big reasons are fear, ignorance, and apathy. So a fear, a lot of shepherds have a fear that if they speak out on this, this is a political issue and they're going to lose their tax exemption or, you know, it's going to divide the congregation over a political Mm -hmm. line or something like that. Um, I think there's also a fear that pastors have that if they speak to this um, very difficult moral issue um, that is very personal for people, that they may inflict greater harm or injury on those in their congregation who've either had abortions or have been responsible for them. So those are some of the fears. 
And then I think also ignorance, and I don't mean ignorance as a pejorative. In other words, I, I mm-hmm. mean ignorance in the true sense of the word, just an unknowing. Um, I, I, I don't think there's, frankly, room for a lot of this right now. I think most pastors are well aware of what abortion does to unborn children. Yes. But I think maybe there is a little bit of an ignorance with regard to the impact that that's having on their own local church, people within their own congregation, children that are being killed under their watch because of their silence, that is. So I, I you know, I think a lot of ignorance about the, the fact that we have women in our churches and men who've either had abortions or been responsible for them, who've been bearing this burden for years, and they need their pastor to speak up on it. But there's this 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 ignorance of, of many shepherds who just feel like, oh, that's not here. You know, that's mm-hmm. happening in Los Angeles, or that's happening in Chicago. That's not happening here in Minot. You know, so I think there's some of that. And then I think apathy. You know, in any career field, you have people that aren't good at their jobs. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, you've got, you know, thankfully most doctors, I think, care deeply about their patients, but some don't. You know, some attorneys don't care about their clients. Some school teachers don't care about their students. And sadly, there are shepherds who don't care about the flock. And Jesus had a name for them. He called them hirelings, um, that they run away when the wolf, you know, attacks. Yeah. And so I think there is a lot of apathy. I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, this isn't uh, this isn't the cool, hip uh, subject to talk about. And we're not going to get, you know, Bono and Angelina Jolie jumping on our bandwagon and cheering us on. And we're not going to have celebrity support. So no. I think it's not fashionable. But uh, none of these are good reasons, uh, you know, to be clear. But those, I think, are, are the three primary reasons. Would you add any anything uh, to that, Tim? You know, the fear of man is, you know, and being politically mm-hmm. correct, yeah. you know, I mean, it encompasses yes. all of that. So, you know, many times I've ran into pastors that will say, well, you know, I just don't want to upset our congregation. How weak is that? Yeah. yeah. You know, really? You're going to let, you know, one in four women sitting in your congregation right now suffering with post-abortion trauma yeah. with this idea that, oh, this is so heinous that we'll never, ever talk about it. Or, like I've heard Mike say, that it's not that big a deal. You know, and so when it's silent, I mean, we don't, you know, either you're going to think one or the other. Yeah. And, but the majority of the time, those suffering, men and women, you know, are sitting in our pews and are, you know, there's 18% of those people that are attending the church feel like, you know, that they can't um, approach a pastor. Yeah. You know, I mean, they don't feel like, you know, it's it's just something that's It's um, too great a sin. Yes. It's too yeah. great a sin right. to bring up. So, well, that that brings a question then. How do pastors approach this? How do they make themselves approachable? Because sure. Jesus said there is no sin that's too great that right. he can't forgive. There's right. none whatsoever. And and you had mentioned it that in your presentation uh-huh. last night, just because somebody has had an abortion doesn't mean their sin is worse than that's mine. Right. mine. We're, we're all, we all deserve hell, right? That's right. And we've all been forgiven. So in light of that, how, and it's a twofold question, how do our pastors make, make themselves approachable? And, and what are some good ways to give pastors the courage to step out and not be afraid to be so politically correct? Mm-hmm. Well, those are great questions. You know, as Tim was saying, when, well, first of all, we have to shatter the silence in the church. That's the number one thing. And uh, because, as Tim was pointing out, when the church goes silent, when the, when the pastor goes silent, he's communicating one of two messages to his congregation, and both of these are damaging and regrettable messages. One is either either, the, either that abortion's not so bad or the gospel's not so good. In other words, if I'm in a congregation as a woman and I've had an abortion, say, 15, 20 years ago, or as a man who was responsible for an abortion 15 or 20 years ago, and my pastor never talks about it, then I'm left, as Tim said, I'm left to think, well, this must not be a big deal. Because my pastor talks against other sins like adultery or gossip or lying or lust or whatever. But when this sin never gets talked about, well, it must not be a big deal. Or, again, as Tim said, 
the opposite is is communicated through silence, and that is that this is so bad. I guess, like you were saying, Jason, <laughs> that this is kind of like the unpardonable sin. We can't. It's so bad we can't even mention it from the pulpit. Well, that's leaving those in our congregations who have been hurt by abortion decisions to think that they're damaged goods, that they're that they've committed the unpardonable sin, that they're that it's really a, it's it's really an, a way of undermining the gospel yeah. because what it's really communicating is that. The, the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the atonement of Christ on the cross is not sufficient for this sin. And we yeah. know that that's not true. So with respect to your question about this, about pastors being approachable on this, I think that's done when a pastor gets up in the pulpit and boldly declares abortion for the evil it is, but then redemptively holds out the word of God and, and the hope that comes through Jesus Christ and says directly to those in his church, in his flock, who have had abortions or have been responsible for them, Look, what you did was wrong. It's sin. But Christ is greater than that. You know, in other words, Amen. abortion is no match for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I think that's the way we make ourselves approachable is to say, look, I've sinned too. Maybe I didn't have an abortion or haven't been responsible for one, but I've sinned as well. And, you know, it's, it's cliche to say it, but the ground is even at the foot of the cross. Amen, isn't and it? And I, I think that um, that's the way we make ourselves approachable. As far as courage, the, the second half of your question and how, how can pastors, you know, kind of muscle up, if you will. I, look, this is not a job to go into if you don't have courage. I mean, I know this doesn't get said much, but this, there's no place in the pulpit or in the pastoral role for a man that lacks courage. Now, we all struggle with that. I, I pastored for 23 years. I lacked courage at times, and I struggled with it. We all do. But there, there really needs to be a, um, a determination on the part of a shepherd that says, I love God more than I, I love my own reputation, my own paycheck, my own security. Um, I love this flock more than those things. And I am going to, by God's grace, I'm going to be man, God's man in that pulpit. I mean, when you read the New Testament or the Old Testament, I mean, either one, you see that the, the Old Testament prophets and the, and the New Testament apostles, these guys were always in trouble, sometimes yeah. to the point of it costing them their lives. Yes. It's really odd that in our culture, pastors are almost never in trouble. I mean, I'm not saying they don't face challenges in their churches, but, you know, again, the goal is not to go looking for trouble, but we're not yeah. looking for a fight. This fight has come to us. Babies from yeah. our churches are dying. Women from our churches and men are being are making decisions that they're regretting potentially for a lifetime. This battle has come to our doorstep. So we need to engage. Absolutely. We need to we have need the to courage. Respond, yeah. And and not just the pastors, though. Right. That not just the pastors, but men. Right. Men. But the pastors do need to lead. Yes. They shouldn't be following in this. They need to be leading this. The shepherd is first and foremost a sheep protector. Yes. If you were to boil his job description down to two words, those would be the two words. He's a sheep protector first and foremost. Whether he's protecting the sheep or the flock from uh, false doctrine or false teachers or from uh, doctors, uh, or I should say abortionists who masquerade as doctors. Mm -hmm. Either way, he's got to protect that flock. Amen. Amen. Yep. And I think Amen. part of that that you could do, too, is to invite someone like myself or, you know, to continue the work that it's not just once a year. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something that is should be very prevalent in the church as a conversation and not just once a year. Yeah. When we have anywhere from 20 to 25 babies being murdered every Wednesday in Fargo. Right. Yeah. That right. should be a part of our continual weekly prayer list, but also to what can we do? Yeah. You know, so if it's making the effort to go to Fargo and stand on the sidewalk and, and reach out to those that are going in, if it's, you know, putting some skin in the game, Yeah, you know, coming down to Dakota Hope, taking a tour, understanding exactly what it is, what we do. I mean, we've had some great um, testimonies yeah. of just that, of people that have found out who we are 
and then and, and then taking that information that they have as small as it might be mm-hmm. and then using that to save a life we had that just happen two weeks ago really where an ambassador for we have church ambassadors for Dakota Hope and what they do is they basically are the liaison between us and the church and so mm-hmm. um, and we educate them with all we do and all the resources we have and she is a spouse of uh, someone from the Air Force and he, and so one day, we're actually in prayer at Dakota Hope and, you know, the staff and we were in prayer and all of a sudden one of the staff got a message from her saying, hey, yeah. my husband has an airman that's under him that has taken the day off. It was Wednesday. Her, him and his uh, mm-hmm. wife are heading to Fargo for an abortion right now. And my husband's wondering, what can we do? You know, do you have some resources, you know? And so we texted her some resources that they could text to him, them and they're mm-hmm. on the road to Fargo. And they actually had gotten to Fargo and they'd been in conversation and we were supplying them with, you know, texts and different links and things to watch. Yeah. And they got there and turned around and came back. Well, they changed their mind. Lord. Proverbs 24, 11, a rescue those being led away to death to those staggering towards slaughter. That's great. Yep. That's Proverbs wonderful. what? Uh, 24, 11. Yeah. 24, 11. 24, 11. That's, yes. And that's exactly it. And I think uh, the more we educate, that's why we bring Mike in is to help us yeah. educate. So then we can educate pastors, but then pastors can do what? Educate. educate the flock. Yes. Yeah. So even if it's us, if it's Mike, if it's somebody, but it's the, education is just education. It's just there until you mm-hmm. exercise it. And I, I would just add maybe to that, um, Jason, that, you know, you have something really rich in this community in, as a resource, and that is the Dakota Hope Clinic. Yes. I have the privilege of getting to speak for a lot of at a lot of banquets and for on behalf of a lot of pregnancy centers around, around the United States. This is a flagship ministry, and I'm not saying that just to be kind. Um, what an opportunity for shepherds, for pastors in this community, uh, not only to partner with them financially, which I would encourage any of your listening audience, and particularly those in, on missions committees or pastors that are listening to do that, but to partner with them as far as boots on the ground and to yeah. get involved in the events that they plan throughout the year. This is a very active ministry, and what a way to, to sort of, you know, partner with them, and it's, it would just be a great marriage between the church. And I know many churches in your community are already doing that. In fact, that's uh, just today, we uh, they hosted, a, or yesterday, I'm sorry, they hosted a pastor's luncheon, lunch, and I think there was 35 or so pastors there. So you've got good pastoral support here, too, so that's great. Yeah. You know, that's actually one of the things that, you know, just thinking uh, as we're talking about it, a lot of people don't know what to do, even with you guys here as a resource, at least from the Christian community. Do we see a lot of people not getting involved just simply because they don't know what to do? Mm-hmm. What can they do? Not, and not just an education piece, but I, I know you had said it to me before where people are like, yeah, we support you. And that's really about the end of it as mm-hmm. far as mm-hmm. what they can do. So, mm-hmm. so what can they do? Yep. I think, you know, you get more emboldened when you are equipped Mm-hmm. Right. So I think and the opportunity like where people want to feel like they actually are making a difference. Yes. Even beyond just giving money. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage them to, you know, we, we're, we're in constant need of mentors. So when someone comes in and they have, you know, chosen life for that child and, you know, or they haven't or whatever, but there's somebody there that needs a mentor. Yeah. And whether it's the young woman or the young man. So we need adults. Uh, men and, you know, and women, right? Men, men and, and women, women mentors. mentors. Yep, to help. And, you know, and then we can help equip them and then, and to go into those situations. You know what? I don't have all the answers, but I want to help you. Yeah. And nothing can help us more, you know, like knowing that we're helping somebody. Yeah. 
And then to have that desire to want to be educated more when I'm asked a hard question to say, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to look up Mike's website and find that answer out. I'm going yeah. to direct you to that. You know, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so when people can want to get involved, it's just, it's conversational. Yeah. You know, and I think about like even Martin Luther, you know, when he was, he would go out into the square and he would challenge people, you know, and then he would get challenged and then he would, when he didn't have the answer, he'd go back and he would just start going through the word of God, looking for how he can better answer that next yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And I think being equipped and being challenged with, you know, the hard questions, you know, when we start talking about euthanasia, right? Yeah. Then, you know, we're not talking about little Asian kids over in China or anything like that. We're talking <laughs> about, right, when we're, you know, yeah. choosing to, you know, suicide or, you know, putting something to death <laughs> because of their situation. I think Mike's got really good answers to those hard questions of like, why is it okay if someone decides that they want to kill himself because they're suffering as opposed to, a 16 year old girl that just broke up with her boyfriend yeah right and all of a sudden she's having a rough time we're like oh are they what's different yeah. you know if you support this one that's suffering and pain and whatever they might have cancer what you know and all of a sudden oh no that's you know and but then all of a sudden a 16 year old it's like well no you'll get over it yeah what mm. you know we have this strange uh way of you know in the world right now where we compartmentalize you yeah. know, I think moral relativism yeah, basically right. is what that boils down to. And I think, you know, Mike, I love, I think the best way for us to be equipped is when we hear how to answer, you know, and not every situation yeah. is the same, but we hear, you know, like a karma, a common uh, argument sometimes in our society right now. Like it's my body, it's my choice or, and, you know, and it gets more extensive as it goes. I actually love what Tim is saying because I, and you would maybe expect this from me because this is my full-time work is training people basically to speak in mm-hmm. order to speak up and to speak effectively. But I do think that's one of the most powerful things because uh, we're sort of right now, the pro-life movement, I think is kind of a wheat field on fire. We're really seeing, you know, I mean, my organization, but there are many other organizations doing this very similar kinds of training and work. And we're having a, it's clear, we're having a massive effect. Yeah. But I think that's one of the most important practical things we can do is get equipped so that we know how to answer the tough objections like, well, what about rape? Or what about the life of the mother? Or you're a man and you have no right to speak to the issue and these kinds of things. We have really good, solid, compelling answers to those questions. But a lot of Christians, a lot of pro-lifers are not uh, they, they're not aware that those answers are out there and they've not been taught yeah. this maybe in their own churches or their own, their own communities. So I think that's the number one thing that we need to be doing. But certainly, I mean, you know, whoever's listening in your audience right now, whatever area of giftedness they have or area of strength that they have, there's almost always a place at the table for them in the pro-life community. You know, if you want to lobby politically, you can do that. If you want to uh, volunteer at a pregnancy center at the Dakota Hope Clinic, you know, in their baby mm-hmm. boutique, you know, they need people doing that. Kind of, and there's so many ways um, that we that we can step up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I've, you know, I, I, it's amazing to me how many people have done things unbeknownst to us even. They won't even, you know, and they do like fundraisers or they'll, you know, do they, you know, so that's the thing is that this is all of our fight. Yeah. You know, you don't have to necessarily always ask for permission from us to, you know, but of course don't use our name if you're doing something stupid, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, I, it's all of our fight. Yeah. You know, especially when it comes to this matter. I mean, this is, I think the baseline matter when it comes to voting. I mean, if they are, wishy-washy you know any politician if they're wishy-washy on the case of life Mm -hmm. we need to really grill that guy because there's if that if they're wishy-washy about whether or not it's okay to murder a baby yeah then we need to question the rest of their ethics yeah and this is not you know just jumping on that this is not 
that is responding to abortion is not primarily a political issue. Exactly. It is a political issue. I, I'm, how can you deny that? Abortion is clearly a political issue. In fact, our nation is bitterly divided uh, over political lines in large part over the abortion issue. But it's much more accurate to, to describe uh, legalized abortion as a moral spiritualist issue that has been politicized. Mm-hmm. And that does not render off limits for the church. Um, so this really is a gospel issue. And um, that that's a huge reason that the church has gone silent is because there's a, this misunderstanding, well, this is a political issue. Uh, it's first and foremost a gospel issue. And can if you, you yeah, sorry to interrupt no, you, but you're can, you, can you explain to our listeners how it's a gospel issue? Sure. Well, in a nutshell, I would say it's a loving your neighbor as yourself issue. Um, you know, if we were talking about, uh, and I'm glad for the question because you're right, Jason, I think a lot that question lingers in, a lot of, in, in the minds of a lot of professing Christians. But think of it this way. If today we were talking not about the legalized killing of developing human ba- babies in utero, but we were talking actually about um, killing toddlers, well, nobody nobody would think, well, gee, that's not a that's not a gospel issue. Saving those toddlers isn't a gospel issue. Nobody mm-hmm. would think it. it. It's only the... the and, and, it's only really the, the unborn that are treated with that kind of contempt in the church, where we have to sort of defend that this is a gospel issue. But it is, it is indeed a gospel issue. Um, remember, Jesus said in Matthew uh, 28, uh, the uh, Great Commission, that mm-hmm. we're to go out and, and to teach all that he taught. Yes. Okay? Well, one of the things he taught was to love children. And I think it's a little odd, well, more than odd, I think it's very disturbing that, that we talk so adoringly um, of Christ worshipfully, and rightfully, by the way, I'm not complaining about this, but we talk so worshipfully about Christ, the lover of children, and then in many of our churches, we don't love the children that he loves enough to speak up for them. So this is a gospel issue also because I think our witness is on the line. Yeah, I, I think this damages our gospel witness. Now, to be clear, the non-Christian world doesn't want us talking about abortion. I know mm-hmm. that. But they need us talking about it, whether they yeah. know it or not. They need us to be a voice for the unborn. The Reformers um, had a, a little... Uh, 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 kind of a rallying cry, I guess, I don't know what, you, what word, phrase you'd use, it, you'd use to call it, but they used to say that, that we're in the world against the world for the sake of the world. So we mm-hmm. are actually against the world, not in an aggressive sense, yeah. but we're, we're... Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us on the next episode of Missions Corner for part two of our interview with Mike Spencer and Project Lifeboats. At Missions Corner, we pray that this episode has fueled your passion to fully live the life Jesus has called you to. As the Apostle Paul reminds us in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus saved us for a reason. He gave us a purpose. That purpose is to win people to Christ, disciple them in Christ, and send them out for Christ. You can listen to this podcast on demand for free on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, and Overcast, or visit missionscorner.com. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord has greatly blessed you.